morning everybody. It is Thursday the 26th of August and our market not really behaving itself today. Breaking a three-day streak down 37. It was down 54 at one point. Resources turning over a little bit. Banks neither here nor there. Travel stocks still doing well. Tech stocks mixed. Wise Tech up again after a massive rise yesterday. And a host of results. Ardent Leisure up 24%. City Chic up 13%. Wiser up 12%. Blackmore's up 9%. All on results. Whitehaven Coal up 5%. Flight Center up 4% despite losing 507 million. Qantas up 3.1% despite having what they call a diabolical year and a $2.3 billion loss. Woolworths up 1.1%. They've announced a $2 billion buyback and an upped dividend. And on the flip side, we've got A2 Milk profit down 79%. China a problem down 8.5%. That stock, of course, is down from $20. Hit a low of $5.20, was it? Three months or so ago and has since risen to $6.30. So rather killing off that resurrection. But we'll see what the research says tomorrow. Maybe there is still a resurrection going on. Jumbo Interactive down 6% on results. And that's about it for major movers. IDP Education down 1.2% after the news that Education Australia post the results have sold 15% of the company. They've placed it in the market. Seems to have gone off all right, but obviously the price off a little bit on the back of that. Iron ore price has firmed up a touch from the recent slide up 0.57%. Oil price up 1.7%. That's up 10% this week. Most of the energy sectors down today. BHP and Re down 0.8 and down 1.7% today. Gold sector on the nose. Gold price down $17 overnight. Otherwise, Dow Jones up 39. NASDAQ up 0.15%, record high. S&P 500 up 0.22%. I think that's a record high. Three more days of the results season left. All eyes on the Jackson Hole speech from Jerome Powell on Friday night. It's a virtual appearance. Some newswires are suggesting it's not going to contain anything interesting and may not even talk about tapering. So the attention turns after that to the jobs numbers on Friday week, US jobs numbers. They are seen as a potential swing factor on a tapering announcement. The next FOMC meeting is September 15-16. Will they announce tapering there? May depend on the jobs numbers. Goldman Sachs are saying that a November announcement or the start of tapering is more likely in November than September. We'll see what the jobs numbers do. A couple of quick things. Delta Airlines are going to impose a $200 surcharge per month on unvaccinated employees. Can't insist they get vaccinated, but you can incentivize them to get vaccinated. Might have to employ that with the Marcus Today team. In fact, most of our guys, in fact, all our guys have now had a jab or booked a jab. Johnson & Johnson are encouraging booster shots already. And lastly, Bank of America Merrill Lynch say they see a rising risk of a large fragility shock. In the strategy piece today, I've included another sign of the top from one member. He says him and a friend were in 1987 rolling the dice successfully on some secondary mining and other dodgy stocks. He says, do you remember Ariadne and Bruce Judge? And he was doing really well. He had unrealized profits of $100,000, which was a lot in those days. And he declared over dinner to his wife he was going to make a long-held dream come true and spend it all on a Porsche. 
and his wife said, sure, go for it, you only live once. But he says, being the trading guru that I was, I waited another week, Black Tuesday arrived, and the whole thing evaporated. He said it took him a year to get over it, and he never did get a Porsche, although I have dug up out of car sales a 1988 Porsche, and it's worth 295000 so he would have tripled his money even if he'd bought a Porsche. Triple regrets for you there, old boy. Right, I have paraphrased Shane Oliver's article this week in the strategy piece today. I suggest you have a read of it. Shane Oliver is a hard-working, level-headed economist, a man I respect, covers a lot of ground so that I don't have to. He works for the AMP, of course, can't be perfect, and his weekly emails attract a lot of eyeballs for the AMP. But his work is always worth a read, and particularly this week's He talks about China. I've provided a link to his article in the strategy piece. And as I say, I've paraphrased it. I'm not going to run through it all. But he's covered a lot of ground and picked up on a lot of the themes coming out of China. And for me, I picked up that whilst we think we are being targeted by China, well, we probably are, we may also be victim of more China-centric decisions rather than Australia-targeted decisions. And one of those is climate action, which is why they are restricting steel imports, sorry, exports or production. But you should read about some of the other things they're doing and why they're doing it. It actually makes a heck of a lot of sense. Net result is that growth is going to be hampered by their policies. They are long term, but short term, there is going to be a price to be paying for a shift towards big government, which could run for decades. And that's going to see reduced investment of Western capital, reduced ability of Chinese tech companies to expand expand globally, reduced entrepreneurial spirit in China, and slower GDP growth in the short term. Anyway, I won't run through it all. Have a read of the piece. It is solid background that you should know about what China is doing and why it is doing it. And there is an enormous amount of logic behind it. And although, as usual, as an economist, Shane holds out optimism, I read the last line as meaning, watch out for the iron ore price. Right, today I have answered a member's email. It's taken me quite a long time to write this, but I've answered the question, what is money printing? And yes, we all talk about money printing and how the the Federal Reserve is printing money and it's quite hard to understand how that feeds through to economic stimulus or how that feeds through to supporting the financial markets. And today I've had a crack at explaining it. And again, I suggest everybody has a read of it and tries to understand what money printing is and what its impact is and what tapering is going to mean. Sounds boring, but it's actually quite interesting. Should I bother to explain it or shall I let you read it? Let me have a quick go at explaining it. I'll do it without reading it off the top of my head and maybe it'll make sense. The Fed has got what they call the desk. And the desk is capable of lending cash to institutions that want it. But its main function over the years has been to take cash from institutions that have got too much cash, usually just overnight. And rather than have billions of dollars of cash sitting there doing nothing, institutions, all sorts of financial institutions, be that mutual funds or banks or other qualifying 
institutions. These institutions park the money by ringing up the desk. I'm sure they don't ring them up, but anyway, by ringing the desk and saying, I've got X billion. I want to leave it with you overnight. What rate are you going to pay me? And this is the overnight rate. And this is what the Fed set in order to affect monetary policy. So they will say, oh, we'll pay you this. So you park your billions overnight with the Fed using the desk and they will pay you an interest rate. And it's called a repurchase deal or a repo deal because when you lend them the billions, you promise to repurchase it the next day. And the Fed will give you back more cash than you gave them because they are implying an interest rate to take account of the overnight interest rate. So you've earned a little bit of money by parking your money with the Fed overnight. So this desk is constantly holding loads of other people's cash and paying them a little interest rate, which the Fed play with in order to affect how much money is in the system. So if these institutions have got lots of cash, they can lend it out to people, they can invest it, they can use it to provide liquidity in the economy. So the more cash they've got, the more stimulated the economy is. So if the Fed ups its interest rates, pays more overnight, then these institutions are not going to lend the money out. They're going to give it to the Fed. And the more interest rates go up, the more money they'll give the Fed. So the Fed effectively tightens the liquidity in the financial system. Hopefully you're still with me. So that's a repo deal. Normal stuff. Been running for decades. Institutions giving the Fed their cash and promises, promising to take it back off them the next day. A repurchase deal. So a reverse repo which is a reverse repurchase deal is the other way around. This is where the Fed lends out cash and institutions, financial institutions, borrow the cash. Now they're flooded with cash. So they go and stimulate the economy. They lend it out. They grow their businesses. They invest the money. If there's that much cash, they'll go and invest it somewhere, usually in the bond market. Hence, bond markets going up and bond yields going down or the equity market. Hence, equity markets going up. So in order to stimulate the economy, the Fed wants to push out as much cash as possible. And the way it does this is to buy usually treasury bonds, but also mortgage-backed securities and other, other qualifying collateral assets off these institutions. So if I'm a big mutual fund and I've got $10 billion worth of bonds, which are not really doing too much, I can sell them under a repurchase deal. So I'm going to promise to buy them back, but I can sell them to the Fed and the Fed will give me a bunch of cash back. And at some point, point in the future, I'll buy those back, buy my bonds back off the Fed. And that's a reverse repurchase deal. So the Fed is constantly buying these collateral assets, which is mostly bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And as you know, they've set that they will buy a certain amount every month. And the institutions are taking cash for these collateral assets and flooding the economy with it and flooding the financial markets with it. So through this process of reverse repurchase deals or reverse repos, the Fed is effectively stimulating the economy because they're giving all the lending institutions and financial institutions that want to have cash. They're giving them a lot of cash to do what they want with. And when there's so much of it, as I say, they'll go park it in financial markets. And the more cash there is, it tends to push the cash into more risky assets like equities. So the equity market is supported by these reverse repo deals, which is the Fed's way of shoving cash out into the economy. Now, where do they get all the cash is the is the 
the point. Where does the Fed get the cash to buy all these bonds off the banks and institutions that own them? Where does the Fed get the cash? It creates it. it we call it printing, but effectively it just creates it on a computer. So they just keep creating money, creating money, buying a certain amount of bonds, tens of billions of dollars of bonds and mortgage-backed securities every month off the institutions and flooding these institutions with cash. And in so doing, they're supporting the economy and they're supporting the financial markets. And if you have a look at the strategy piece, you'll see that as the Fed do this, as they create money on a computer screen, take these bonds in as collateral and lend it out to all these institutions to stimulate the economy and support financial markets, the Fed are effectively just printing US dollars. And there's a chart of what they call the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, which is another way to say the Federal Reserve's assets on their balance sheet. And you'll see from the chart that this money printing, which builds up assets for the Federal Reserve, of course, at the expense of every other US dollar, the more money you print, the less an existing dollar is worth. So they are just accumulating wealth towards themselves at the expense of every other dollar. So what happens? Well, the US dollar falls. Have a look at the chart in the strategy piece today. And if you look at what the Fed balance sheet has done, they currently have a balance sheet which has, and it's an interesting scale they use on the chart. This is off of the Fed Reserve's website. They've got a scale which says 8 million. And we're at about 8.3 million on the scale. But actually, if you look at it, it's 8.3 million million. So it's actually... trillion they've got in assets. Now, prior to the GFC, in August 2007, they had $817 on their balance sheet, which was just the normal amount, close to a trillion, for keeping liquidity in the financial system. And then the GFC happened, they started this process of printing money and handing it out. And as they printed money, their assets grew. So between 2007 and 2015, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet or assets grew from 870 million to 4.5 trillion in early 2015. They then did what they called a normalization program between October 2017, August 2019, and they started to reduce their assets. And assets dropped from 4.5 trillion to 3.8 trillion. And then the pandemic hit and the assets have just doubled from under 4 trillion to over 8 trillion. So the pandemic has effectively doubled the reserves asset base, their balance sheet as they have printed money. Now that of course comes at a cost to every other dollar. So have a look at the chart in the strategy piece and you'll see the moment the pandemic happened, the US dollar just started to collapse. And at the same time, the equity market took off. So everyone else's dollars are worth less because the the US Federal Reserve central bank has printed a whole load of dollars. This happens in other countries of course. And this is why when a central bank gets desperate to flood the economy, but nobody wants to take their cash, interest rates go negative. So the central banks set negative interest rates so that if you give the institutions that run the economy, if you give them cash, you're going to pay them to take that cash off you and stimulate the economy. And that's how desperate some governments get to support their own economy, that interest rates go negative. And that's why since the GFC interest rates in the US and 
globally have just quietly dropped and dropped and continue to drop as the US encourages or stimulates the economy and everybody follows suit. So have a read of the piece. I probably haven't explained it terribly well there. I'm not an economist. I'm very happy to be corrected by anyone who is an economist. I've tried to explain it in layman's languages, language rather. But what you have at the moment, all you need to understand is that the Fed are creating dollars on a computer, buying great slugs of assets from the big financial institutions. And those institutions are lending it out in the economy, stimulating the economy. And there's so much of it now, they've started to park it in financial markets. And obviously, financial markets, even equities, have started to rally on the back of that and bond yields have dropped. Of course, what's happening or what the market is beginning to anticipate, as you can see from the fact that the US dollar has bottomed, is a tapering. In other words, the financial, the FOMC are going to start saying, well, we're not going to buy as many bonds every month. We're not going to buy as many mortgage-backed securities. And that is creating a bottoming of this whole process, a bottoming in interest rates, a bottoming in the US dollar in anticipation of an end to this constant money printing. Of course, JP Morgan have picked up the point that they may be tapering, but they're still going to be buying billions of dollars of bonds and mortgage-backed securities every month. They're still going to be printing billions of dollars every month. So although the bond buying slows down and the cash available is less, the balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet is still growing because they're still printing money. So we talk about tapering as the end of money printing, but actually it's just a small slowdown in money printing. So it will continue. So equity markets may continue to be supported and economies may continue to be supported. In other words, interest rates could stay low and equity markets could hold up. Money printing isn't ending, it is just slowing down. Anyway, hope that was sort of interesting. Hope that sort of explained it. Hope I didn't lose you. Probably easier to read it with the charts in there. And as I say, if we've got an economist who is smarter than me, and almost all of them are, please correct me in layman's language, please. Finally, on this day I've been waiting for today. On this day, let me give you a couple of things. On this day in 1883, the Krakatoa volcano in Indonesia erupted, killed 36,000 people. The 19th Amendment became part of the Constitution in the US, giving women the right to vote in 1920. The Anglo-Egyptian Treaty established Egypt as a sovereign state after 50 years of British occupation in 1936. I put that in. My dad was in the RAF and flew in the secret war as the French and British quietly tried to blow the Egyptians off the banks of the Suez Canal. And if you Google around, you'll see the reaction of the Egyptians was to sink every ship in the Suez Canal and block it up. Took a while to clean that up. But the main event on this day, 1346, ask any Englishman what day or what happened on that day or in that year. And of course, it was the Battle of Cressy, the English defeat of a much better supplied and superior French army. Have a read about it. It established the English longbow as a legend. The quick story, which no doubt I have massively or will massively over embellish, is that the French had very well supplied knights in armour on heavy horses and were so arrogant about their ability to knock off a retreating English army, which had a few knights and a lot of bowmen who had dropped most weapons except their longbows and had no armour. The French marched arrogantly in the rain 
up the valley towards Cressy to meet the English without realising it had got boggy and their horses got bogged down, allowing the English archers to walk out of the trees down to the French knights and from a almost point-blank range shoot them with longbows which pierced their plate armour and the French had to surrender. And the French had said that every archer we catch we will cut off the two fingers that they pull their bow back with. And as the French prisoners were paraded past the archers, all the French prisoners waved, all the English bowmen waved their two fingers at the French. Hence the two finger signal. Don't bother emailing me with the real version of that story. I like that one. Right, there we go. As I leave you, educated about money printing. The Dow futures are down 42. Our market having a nice bounce. Was down 54, now down 25. Still digesting. That must be 40 sets of results today. I'll get on with that. You have a fabulous day and I will speak to you soon. (laughs) 